ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਕੈਨ ਯੂ ਹੇਅਰ ਮੀ ਕਲੀਅਰਲੀ ਯਾ ਆਈ ਕੈਨ ਹੇਅਰ ਯੂ ਲਾਈਕ ਦਾ ਵੋਇਸ ਆਫ ਗੋਡ ਹਿਮਸੈਲਫ ਹਰਸੈਲਫ ਪਲੀਸ ਕਰੈਕਟ ਯੂਰਸੈਲਫ ਓਕੇ ਵਾਟਐਵਰ ਵੇ ਯੂ ਵਾਂਟ ਟੂ ਲੁੱਕ ਐਟ ਇਟ ਸੋ ਸਮ ਇੰਟਰਸਟਿੰਗ ਕਨਸੀਡਰੇਸ਼ਨਸ uh first of all this morning we had a very unique incident so there's a video of jagmeet singh running and someone has edited it to make it out that there are people trying to chase jagmeet now we are not in the same country as jagmeet singh we don't know what's happened between him and you know some sections of the sikh community down there however for some reason some of these uh, <laughs> idiotic online accounts think that we made that video we have nothing to do with that video that video was actually shared from sovereign seva 13's wall so whatever you want to find out about the video or whatever it is you want to do about it approach them directly they're based in canada we aren't in canada we don't know what's going on so stop blaming us for no reason at all seems a certain troll based in birmingham in the united kingdom is going around spreading these rumors about us well what's new nothing pretty much nothing you know when you start ascending when people start listening to you and questioning others using your rationality of course you're going to get a lot of opposition and it will increase over time we know it will definitely increase over time but we will see to it anyway <clears throat> so so far what's happened is that we recently did two episodes there's the premiere one on the five kakars and then we also had you know legendary and mol singh rode come in for the maratha episode did you listen to that episode i did well three times at least how did you find it <laughs> informative myth busting yep and do you know how effective it was well given the amount of feedback you had I can imagine easily. So there's a Instagram page called The Mighty Marathas. That episode was so effective they actually made a meme. And why I call it a meme is what they were uh, actually alleging was that Ishmeet Nagpal and Jaswant Lal Mehta are two apparently premier historians of Sikh history and those two have actually claimed that the Marathas rebuilt their bar side. I personally went and researched this Ishmeet Nagpal's article, the article referenced in question is about Baba Deep Singh. It doesn't even mention the Marathas once. And regarding Jaswantalal Mehta, Mehta himself disparages the Marathas for failing to visit Amritsar and form a consolidatory bond with the Sikhs. He says that the Sikhs were actually the only true warriors fighting for the liberty of the subcontinent and the humanity living upon it and the marathas made a very big philosophical and logical mistake by not forming a coalition with the sikhs karlogal very clear what the situation was but uh, given if you have an agenda you you will have propaganda and also you have a large number of accounts totally upvoting every single lie you spout so yeah that's the way it works currently and what's actually happened down here and this is the very interesting thing the five takars episode the people who are crying that punit sahani or soy boy sahani as they call him nowadays 
is attacking the Kakars, those same people, because, you know, we don't agree with their uh, school of thought, their principles, or, you know, whoever they claim is their uh, enlightened soul. Those same people have ganged up with another bunch of people, and now those same people are going around opposing both episodes. Panjukakar episode is being opposed because apparently, apparently, this is a big apparent, a big allegation. None of them have listened to the episode. Apparently, in that episode, we argue against the five Kakars. Perhaps I need to go back to school and learn English all over again. That's that's the big accusation. That episode has rankled them so much that one of you know Sahani's fanboys, Girish, a direct fanboy who has contact with him, actually came onto our uh, Twitter handle a while ago. And he was continually claiming, uh, posting these pictures from J.S. Garewal's 2001 or 2003 of the Kakars, saying that, oh, well, Garewal doesn't mention this, Garewal doesn't mention it. So, you know, I personally sent him pictures of Puneet Sahani blocking us, that, you know, we are blocked on both his handles. He's gone off Twitter now, but for how long, no one knows. And I told him, well, the fingers Garewal wrote in 2003, and you guys, what, what are you using? The, what's the earliest text you have? And he didn't mention it, but obviously it was a McLeodian text. So they have come into 2003 swinging in there and, you know, selectively cherry-picking and quoting things which, you know, insinuate that Garewal is saying that the Kakars don't exist, but Garewal is the one who came up with the theory that uh, there were three primary Kakars and the two secondary ones were common-sense Kakars. Yep, well, this was discussed in the episode, yep. But we are the ones now apparently who are worse than Sahani. So that allegation is false. I'll clear it as false. Please listen to the episode before making the allegation. And these trolls have uh, another bunch of trolls supporting them. Now, the secondary trolls, they have a problem with the Maratha episode. <clears throat> the first thing, the first, the main problem, major problem they have is that, you know, Anmol Singh Rode is someone who does not mince his words. Right? You would have heard it in the episode. He's a very straightforward sort of guy. And having personally talked to him, I believe the kid's going to achieve quite a lot in life because, you know, he doesn't really care. He's not scared. And Rodde basically called out Sardar Kapoor Singh for, you know, falsifying that entire incident of the Marathas, you know, visiting the bar side because even Aliuddin does not mention it. So their problem is, you know what message I received? It's the same message, so I know these people are all interlinked. But do you know what that message is? Do you want to have a guess at it? Let me know. Okay, here's the message. Sardar Kapoor Singh formed the Anandapur Resolution. He was the national professor of Sikhism. Why are you guys opposing him? He was true. You guys are just soiling his reputation. Have we invented something or have we, let's say, concocted a text or something? Nope, nothing. But here's the thing, okay. this, hero, this hero worship which starts happening, you know, if you want to hero worship someone, worship the hero, or worship the gurus, hero worship the gurus. But when you start hero worshipping, you know, these other figures, you're going to have, you know, a lot of mistakes to clarify. Now, Sardar Kapoor Singh never believed that Yogi Harpajan Singh was the pervert which he turned out to be. Sardar Kapoor Singh used to argue that we can't call out Yogi Harpajan Singh because he's spreading Sikhi in the West, so we should ignore his faults. Hmm. But you know, Navjit Singh, do you what I find interesting though about these people? Tell me. 
They conveniently ignored that Sardar Kapoor Singh was the first one in Sikh history to say that the position of Jatidhar Akal Takht is non-existent. Picking and choosing, yeah? Picking and choosing. So, anyhow, both episodes have gone over, you know, over the 300 to 400 mark on singular platforms alone. So, combined, they're probably over 1,000 by now. Anyhow, we will progress and keep on doing what we want to do. Uh, given the fact that, you know, we are a com or a community today, especially in these days and these months, we usually reflect somberly on the past and... You know, one thing which the Sikhs always cry about, I have to say they're crying about it, is the lack of leadership. What do you agree? That's unfortunately true. And our leadership today usually consists of that, you know, for example, let's just say you're Navjeet Singh Jatedar or Navjeet Singh, you know, Pardan. You have Mr. A, Mr. B, Mr. C, Mr. D. You want all of them to walk alongside you even if you have to do the right thing even if doing the right thing means you displease one of them you will forego doing the right thing am i correct uh you are correct yep this was one of the negative tendencies which saw the missiles go down this was also a tendency which saw you know eventually people betray banda singh because he was doing the right thing and they couldn't really you know <clears throat> tolerate the displeasure this thing has handicapped us so badly that we're always wondering what the other guy is thinking about us, you know, how they're going to think about us, what they're going to see us like in the future. Why don't you just let your work speak for yourself? Hmm. See, this is how Maharaja Ranjit Singh came along and succeeded where all others failed. He really didn't care what people thought about him. And I mean, sometimes you need to consider this, that many people say Ranjit Singh altered quite a lot of the Sikh socio-religio-political dynamic. And I've even heard people go to the extent of saying Ranjit Singh, but then when I see what you know we are doing today, I wholeheartedly agree. Well... If you, if you study statecraft, these things have to be done, unfortunately. Yep. Ruling, being a good ruler and uh, having a good ruler, two very different things. Discourses on Levy by Machiavelli, if you read that, that's what he's arguing for, that even in a republic, one singular man has to come and you know concentrate all the power in their hands to be able to rectify and sort out the issues caused by assembly of hundreds of thousands. So at the end of the day, that one man or that one woman has to do quite a lot to sort out the fault of the others, even if the political structure takes into account what people want. Hmm. So leaving that political correctness aside, as you can see in our training and otherwise, we are usually given a concept which is called the heart of a warrior. Now, as a warrior, you know, and I'm using this term very loosely, as a warrior, we can, you know, consider you as a soldier, but also a corporate entity. So what I'm saying is a corporate executive and a soldier are on par as far as this discussion is concerned. And, you know, a soldier has a platoon under them. You know, we are talking about a leadership level, a brigade, a battalion, a company, whatever it is, an army. 
the corporate executive has a lot of jobs on the line. You know, lots of people work for them. They're leading, you know, million strong, pro, you know, a million dollar strong project. So there's a lot at stake for both of them. So they both need the heart of a warrior. And what the heart of a warrior entails is that leadership is an act of balancing things by making sacrifices. You understand the concept? Mm, I do. So essentially, once again, leadership is in principle the act of leading by making sacrifices to balance out the leadership equilibrium. Hmm. So there are some principles here which we need to discuss. The first one is what's usually called the ultimate sacrifice. Now, Here's how you sum it up. You have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term gains. Short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. Hmm. So, historic example, look at the Gurus. Guru Nanak onwards to Guru Amardas. You know, when things got heated for them, they left their hometowns, their home cities, and established new places. They weren't attached to one place. Now, Obviously, it's hard to uproot yourself continually. But the thing I'm getting at down here is that that, in their perception, their perspective was a short-term sacrifice or a long-term gain, which was essentially the consolidation and spread of security. Yeah, that can be very easily observed, given, given the amount of towns Gurus have uh, founded. And also, they moved on from them, or them or their, their, their descendants. If you look at Chene Pacha, Guru Hargobind, you know, look at him, he left Am Amritsar. You know, Amritsar was strategic, it was rich, it was a mercantile city, but he still left it. I mean, he never uh, had any qualms about it. Obviously, it would have been hard for him, but he still decided, look, it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. So let's put it a bit more uh, clearly, a bit more transparently, more simply, I suppose. In today's world as Sikhs, we have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term gains. I mean, personally speaking, what I had last week was we work in a very dangerous industry and there are lots of machines down there. These machines can, you know, disintegrate you into pieces in a matter of minutes. And, you know, we have these uh, two twins, two girls who usually run these machines. But because they're sisters, they're young, there's a lot of immaturity involved. And recently, one of them did something which was considered quite dangerous. Now, their mother rang us up. And I'm not saying that this is akin to the sacrifices the gurus or the sheep made. It's just a relevant example in today's time. And she said, well, you know, the thing is, these girls don't have a job. How can I support them? And this decision was taken on an executive level that we need to keep these girls employed. However, when the file was brought to me, I opened the file, I looked through it, I saw that, you know, we have had 20 such incidents with them in a space of three months. Basically, there are hazard or accident waiting to happen. Someone might die there eventually. Now, the short-term sacrifice here is losing two workers, right? Mm -hmm. Long-term gain is a more safer workplace and a more productive workplace. Now, productivity might take time to go up, especially with the coronavirus and losing two workers. But the thing is, if we don't make that short-term sacrifice, right, we say we don't want to do it. 
what's the long-term sacrifice we have to make? Well, you, you will lose a lot more than two workers. Definitely. We will probably lose someone else. We will need the executive officers to come in, the executive managers. We'll probably have the CEO, the director, the health and safety organizations, the police. We will have, you know, the governmental safety bodies coming in. It will be a shit show, which will essentially cause uh, cost us millions because we are not willing to let two workers go. Now, what, what, what I'm doing down here, essentially, what we're doing down here is trying to balance out something which has gone out of equilibrium, which is short-term sacrifice and long-term gain. These are two opposite things, but you always have to balance them. Uh, I have a small example, and uh, I think I should, I should uh, prove the point. Uh, this happens in Africa. Uh, I think I think this is how they capture the baboons or some uh, type of African monkey. Uh, they dig a little tiny hole in the mud here. Yes. Or maybe even an anthill. The hole is only big enough for the, the baboon's hand to go in, and inside is like it may be a fruit, maybe something the baboon wants. So once you go in there, the baboon puts his hand in there and grabs whatever it's in there, the bait. He's not able to pull his hand out because now, now the hand has grown in size because there's something inside your palm. Yeah? Yep. The baboon cannot make a short-term sacrifice. He can't let go of the bait. He, he doesn't want to. And thus he's captured... I think that was quite a widespread practice in primitive cultures anyway. I mean, if I remember correctly, there is a Shabbat of Fuck Gabid and Gurbani which describes the same, doesn't it? Well, I will have to apologize. I don't remember at this moment about this thing. Yes, I'm sure if I remember correctly, there is a Shabbat like that by Fuck Gabirji. It's uh, the first time I heard that Shabbat, it was pretty profound. Ah, yes. Markat Musti Anaj Ki Maan Baurare Lini Hath Kasar Shootan Ko Sahesa Pere Man Baurare Natyo Kar Karbar Yes, it's on Ang 340. So what it is, is the monkey pushes his hand within the vessel filled with sweet corn. Trapped, it is now forced to dance from door to door in, on another's whims. Its greed becomes its undoing. So no relevant example, short-term sacrifice, because what happens is when we have to make that short-term sacrifice, we actually end up believing that that might be a long-term sacrifice. That's how we fool ourselves. Well, in a way, they could say that if if I let this thing go, whatever I'm doing will end. Well, that's right. So we're so heavily invested in the situation, we don't take the uh, opportunity to step back and see what's going on. Just the sunken cost fallacy applies here. Oh, yes. think so. Mm, yeah, possibly. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it sums up pretty much every Gurdwara Pradhan I've met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> if, you have, so, if you have invested too much in something, you can't let it go because so much money, your time or resources have been invested in it. You can't see long term. No, that's right. I mean, some, you know, 
it's good to cut a rotten limb off before it poisons the rest of the body. Hmm. Yep. So, second principle down here after the first principle is that the final responsibility is yours, but do not forego empowering others. So, history will judge you as leader for what your subordinates do. The ultimate responsibility is going to be on you. You know that most of the inventions Edison churned out towards the end of his life, they weren't actually made by him? Well, that's true, yeah. They were made by Tesla? Quite a few of them, yes. And, you know, the current corporation, which has the name Tesla, Tesla, they just wanted to sort of avoid something stereotypical like Edison because it doesn't have that ring to it, so they chose the name Tesla. But the reality is that for everything Tesla did, because he worked under Edison, Edison got the credit. Okay, so, yeah, a good relevant example, yeah. Yep, I mean, for example, if you look at it, I'll give you some historical examples now. Nelson at Trafalgar. Nelson actually got killed within the first 12 minutes of the battle, I believe. But did yeah, he actually he did I real quick. Yep. But do we actually remember the names of any of the captains who actually won the battle, or do we remember the leader's name? Leaders. Right? So now, <laughs> if we see it from a Sikh perspective, it's exemplified by a lot of leaders, but more pertinently by Nawab Kapoor Singh and his continued realignment of Pantak manpower. So first he made the Buddha Dal, Tarnadal, then he, uh, you know, ended them and made the missiles. At all levels, he had individual tactical decisions being made by subordinate leaders on their own initiative. He himself set the strategic goals and stepped back to guide them as to how to achieve them. He empowered others to make their own decisions. You see the same concept playing out with Alexander Napoleon and more famously, as we mentioned, with Nelson at Trafalgar. Ultimately, your leadership goes a long way, but not the full mile in deciding the outcome of your mission, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, you can't be everywhere. You have to balance things out. So leadership is about balance. You cannot overstretch on any one aspect. That's the heart of the warrior. You have to realize your own vulnerabilities. You can't be out of balance. So while defining the broader goals, ensure that you allow others to achieve the smaller goals which contribute to the whole. How well you empower others decides how well your leadership is judged. Isn't that your duty as leaders to have a reliable subordinates? You know, when I first uh, started off learning about leadership, like we were given this little, uh, it was sort of like a military camp and we were given this uh, mission basic mission and it was by an ex-veteran reserve soldier who actually took us out camping all we had to do was sort of set up a parameter us kids and i was made the leader of it you know i was so heavily invested in building the parameter like you know nailing down the fence posts and stringing up the wire and you know camouflaging and everything that i forgot one crucial detail and that was while the parameter was being built we needed some you know watch guard, someone looking out to see if the other camp did not attack us. Now I had all my guys together 
believing, you know, strength in numbers. But the other camp, they had a better leader and they ambushed us. So they caught us right in the middle of our camp where we were the most vulnerable. And the lesson I learned was that, you know, the leader can't be too invested in these things. The leader, he or she has to empower others to do the smaller things. True. So, you know, big learning curve for me, but after that, I developed a strategy based on Nelson's strategy at Trafalgar that, you know, your subordinates master all the technical aspects of whatever it is you're doing and they use their own initiative. After that, I've never had any complaints, never had to stress out over what's being done or not. That's where it should be. Right. I mean, if we go together, we got some guys marching with us and we are told, look, you need to climb that mountain peak. You need to capture the peak. And I tell you guys, okay, you guys need to capture the peak. You tell me what you need. I'll provide it for you. That's good. You guys are going to use your own initiative and we have to live you know, with the result of the final outcome. However, if I tell you that Navjeet Singh, you have to take these guys from this curve, this road, that way, this way, you're going to be like, stuff it. You aren't even going to come with us. So why should we listen to you? Yep. There's too many drawbacks in that plan. Too many drawbacks in that plan. So you have to trust others to do what you know you want them to do. Yeah. Now, and, yep. That's the entire gist of uh, promoting people within a company or maybe in the army. Yep, definitely, definitely. You have to be able to trust them. I mean, Nuab Kapoor Singh realized that, you know, even Banda Singh would have realized that if we hadn't betrayed him, that at the end of the day, you need more people helping you because you're the leader. The leader doesn't need to know everything. The leader doesn't need to be all over the place. The leader is someone who also requires help. And one of the best things you can do as a leader is knowing when you need that help. Unfortunately, and this is going to be a valid comment to you, our Sikh perception of leadership has been changed, especially in the 20th century. We expect leaders to make a glorious last stand. That's our hallmark of what a leader sh should be. We measure them against their you know, ability to make the last stand, when really they should be living to lead us further on our mission. Hmm. Would you say that uh, expecting, let's say, one person to do everything is the, paradoxically, it's the basis of failure to begin with? Pretty much. You see, people reach out to us on Twitter and all over the place via email and, you know, personally. So that's what one of these guys was telling me one day. He's like, you know, we expect the last stand from a leader. We expect the leader to do everything. Doesn't it mean that we're putting the burden of intelligence on one person because we don't want to be equally intelligent? Not even that. If you are looking at the leader for everything, that means I have no personal responsibility. No, that's right. And if you look at Sikh history, Guru Nanak entrusted Sikhs in various regions to you know, lead the Sangats Guru Anga did. And Guru Amar Das established the Manji system. So what greater example do you want from that? Yeah, but... There it is. There it is. So, moving on, uh, be firm, but not tyrannical. Enforce and penalize when necessary, but not when trivial. 
Hmm. Okay, so let me give you a basic example down here. I once had a friend from Pakistan who told me that, you know, he was at, you know, Abbottabad, where their Pakistani West Point is, and where Bin Laden was, <laughs> and they didn't realize, so speaks volumes to their military yeah, consistency at that academy. Anyhow, he had a instructor, and they were, you know, given a crash course in trench warfare. So, you know, they have to dig their own trenches. That's one of the hardest things. I mean, you have to dig your own bloody trench down there. It's almost like digging your own grave. That's a grim joke, which every soldier, I reckon, tells in the world when he's got guys digging trenches. And you know what happened? Tell me. They had a instructor with them who was going to personally lead them in this uh, exercise and this, you know, uh, simulation, a major. And as my friend jumped out of the trench, like, you know, his shoelace came undone. So he jumped back in, started retying it. And in this process, his, you know, pant leg got, the camo leg got cuffed. It had dirt on it. Now, one of the main things you'll realize during combat is that no matter how high your rank, if you're in the field, you're going to get dirty, sweaty, probably bloody, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the way he put it, he's like, the son of a bitch major actually made me stop, go back out, change my pants and come back. Hmm. <laughs> and... You know, I asked him, so what did you learn from it? He said, well, the thing is that, you know, you need to be firm, but not tyrannical. The thing is, where it counted, he should have, you know, pulled him aside and said, look, I'm the major, I'm leading the simulation, I'm one of the chief instructors. Son, you did this, and it's wrong. And, you know, that would have consisted of if he did anything wrong in the fieldwork aspect of that, you know, simulation of that exercise. But, I mean, seriously, don't you think it's tyrannical if your legs get cuffed and you have to go back and change your bloody pants? Um, maybe that explains the failure of that state's army or that army's state. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as someone once pointed out, I think it was William McRaven that, you know, bloody hell, you had your West Point next door and the man was hiding for how long, dude? 11 years? Well, probably they were living as a guest and they didn't know, and then it's part of their culture to not to not disrespect the guests. So there you go. Well, I mean, the jokes aside, I mean, on the Sikh aspect, you see, this is probably exemplified by the Dal Khalsa's treatment of, you know, Saudi Varpag Singh, right? Think about it. Different lineage, different perspectives, but the Dal Khalsa firmly rejected whatever it was he was preaching but at the same time, it did not overstep into fully annihilating such mediocre players and even went and helped them when necessary. And, you know, if they had been tyrannical, uh, this, that's why we say, if you have to be, be firm and mature to discipline. You know, in regards to disciplinary matters, always be firm when you need to, but you need to step back and see how you being firm is going to help the other person, right? Mm -hmm. So... The Dalkalsa stepped back and realized that if they held on to their discipline and, you know, continually disciplined Sodi Varpaks and through their preachers, they could at least get a strategic bulwark against the Afghans and also have him as an ally. You know, allies matter in war. But, I mean, if they went and annihilated him, if they went and said, oh, no, you don't even believe in the gurus like we do and finished him off, 
they would have had to man his entire uh, territory with their own sol own, own warriors, own soldiers, and this would have just stretched their ranks too thin. And <clears throat> you know, in regards to the disciplinary matter, like my Pakistani friend was saying, he said after that, he always felt that Major was a tyrant, and when it came to uh, reviews, when they had to review their instructors. Just about everyone in the class gave that man a negative mark. And the system was that even if he got one positive mark, he would have been allowed to, you know, stay on down there. Now, you know, military academy instructive posts as an instructor, not something many battle-hardened soldiers look forward to, but then at the same time, it's not a job they would pass up easily, eh? Mm -hmm. One mark would have meant that this man stayed in his job and guess what my friend gave him tell me negative <laughs> so there you go these things have a way of coming back to bite you in the ass when you least expect them to uh picking up from your earlier point please correct me if i'm wrong but was it so that uh, general Patton or was it eisenhower he would put uh, a Nazi officer in charge of the newly captured town. Second World War. I, I think it was... Oh, damn, I think it was Patton, actually, because he was in the field. He would have made that choice, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think it was either Patton or Eisenhower or something like that. Yes, so yes. This is really, really surprising. It's like, you know, the regime has changed. Now you work for us. It's... You are the local guy or whatever. You know everything now. You know what people around. You are in charge. Anything happens, you'll be executed. Definitely, definitely. So the incentive down there is on them to perform. So, I mean, they're not thoroughly tyrannical, but they're pretty damn firm, and the gun is always on the guy's head. Yeah, so, so this example, it's, a, it's an extreme case. You're putting the enemy, who you're just, just defeated, in charge again, at least in some sort of control, having some sort of power. But the strategy worked. Damn right it did. Because I do remember reading that maybe there was a bit of a hollow bro over the fact that, you know, many Jews felt that Patton was being pretty anti-Semite by putting them in charge. Yeah, it's an entire different story about Patton. Yep. Yep. George so, S. Patton. Moving on. Know when to lead and when to eject. Ask yourself how much are you willing to sacrifice. So I actually had a $7 million project once. We were working on a $7 million project, massive infrastructure job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes in life you need to avoid the misfortunate people. You know, the unfortunate, misfortunate, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. We had a technical manager who would always be complaining about the job. I mean, the guy really had a massive pay package. I mean, more than me. But he was always complaining about the hours, and he had it pretty easy, you know, come in at 8 o'clock and leave at like 2 o'clock. So, what was he complaining about? Anyway, he kept on complaining and complaining and complaining. So, I had a job, uh, talk with the next authority who was higher than him that, you know, this guy, the technical manager, isn't giving my guys the work. So, how can I lead my guys if this guy's being a son of a bitch? And now his uh, attitude is, you know, beginning to disaffect people. And, you know, the highest 
thought he was a you know foreman actually and uh, the foreman called him into his office and said look son we just need you to improve your attitude if you want to leave the job then give us a timeline or if you want to stay then stop bitching but be honest tell us what your problem is and we'll try resolving it anyhow this guy kept on you know going and going and going so ultimately the call was made by the foreman in a meeting to replace him let him go <laughs> come to think about it down here you need to think this way that how much are you willing to sacrifice i mean you've got a guy down there who's like that are you seriously going to you know allow this guy to ruin it for everyone mm, not at all you have to sacrifice so, this guy now someone might say you know joko willing and leaf fabian they usually say that bad teams means bad leaders but even they admit that there are going to be times when there are good teams good leaders but bad workers bad team players so at that time what you need to do is you know you need to counsel the bad team workers you can't stack them straight away because you know sometimes those people just need that extra push right say all or same old thing the weakest link in the chain you need to remove it Sometimes, you know, what you need to do is you need to coach them, counsel them, and mentor them. But even when they're still refusing to take, you know, ownership after all this, you need to remember that you are in charge of a team. Maybe you've got two other guys, five other girls, 40 other people working under you. You can't keep on sacrificing your best for this one, you know, and competent fool. It's much better if you cut the rotting limb off before it spreads the disaffection. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if someone asks how this relates to, you know, if we can find a, you know, example from Sikh history, lots of examples, but I believe the most relevant one would be Guru Hargob and Sahibji and Pandey Khan. Despite all the Guru did for Pandey Khan, he still opposed the Guru and ultimately the Guru just told him leave and had him pushed out of the Darbar. Uh, as far as I know, he was the best wrestler around Guru Sahib at that time. Best grappler, best swordsman, second to the Guru, but once he started becoming incompetent, the Guru cut him off. Despite investing so much time in him, the Guru, you know, made the call that I have so many other Sikhs, he can easily be replaced. Let him go if that's what he wants. And the rest is history as we know it. Rest is history. So, you know, you have to make these sacrifices. Like I said, leadership is about sacrifices and these ugly sacrifices. I mean, this is a very ugly episode, isn't it? Yeah, about sacrifice, about personal responsibility and about uh, making decisions for the future. Probably have a bigger pushback tomorrow with this. But anyway, moving on. Prepare aggressively, but prepare smartly. Train to play hard, right? Train to play hard, but play harder by playing smarter. Hmm. Is that coming from Sun Tzu? <laughs> well, a little bit, little bit. <laughs> so let me give you an example again. Exemplified by Baba Darbara Singakali, we have all heard of, you know, train harder. So this seems to be a Sikh maxim that we're going to train harder, right? Good. But really, we need to be playing smarter. 
So in the aftermath of Baba Banda Singh's betrayal by Binod Singh, the Khalsa altered its strategy. It trained its warriors high, but also smartly. Baba Darbara Singh divided them into separate battalions while charging individual players like Bhai Tara Singh Wan to train, you know, train future fighters and leaders more smartly. So don't push through to your goals, get to them smartly and avoid the carnage. Are you really a warrior if you if you don't have brains to back to back them up to back your skills up? So you want the common sense logical answer, or you want the current seek answer? No, I want the current seek answer because I I want to stay relevant. We need uh, leaders. Much better if they're warrior leaders who make their last stand. Yep, the captain goes down with the ship. And then we keep on crying for the next few decades about why that had to happen, why we have no more leaders. Yeah, if, if there's a new leader, oh, he or she will be judged based on the action of the past leaders. See, there are two Professor Sahib Singhs in history. There's, you know, obviously the Ikakar of the Guru Granth Sahib, the Professor Sahib Singh. And there was another Professor Sahib Singh who seems to have been a legalist, a lawyer for the Kalis in the 20s. He actually forewarned them against making unnecessary sacrifices. Are you telling me that uh, dying for others isn't a requirement in Sikhi? Pretty much. So Professor Saab Singh got up at Nankana Saab, he got up at Amritsar and he cautioned the Kalis. He told them that, look, okay, you're fighting to liberate Gurdwaras, but alongside you need to be you know, fighting to gain political recognition because the day you get it, you're going to be unprepared. So you might as well start fighting it for now. Once you get it, at the same time, open a third front where you fight to legally define what a Sikh is and what a Gurdwara is. This way, when you go to oppose the Mahants, the Masants, they have their army of bugs and they have the local police helping them. At least the local police would be taken out of the equation if you have political recognition and, you know, bills backing you up that this is what a Gurdwara is. Historically, the site was a Gurdwara. Now they have corrupted it. We want it back. At least the police would have its hands tied, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be able to attack you. But sadly, he was ignored. And, you know, Ravjit Singh, you can go into a Gurdwara. You can get up on the stage and say, we are a comb with a lot of martyrs. But have we gained anything for those Shaheeds? Uh, from that context, and this is going to be really controversial. Uh, I think we've discussed it previously that uh, becoming a Shaheed is not a target. It's not it's an cost. objective that we that we seek. No, no, it's just a cost. A cost we're willing to pay. You can't say that somebody died for this cost, so I must also follow the same path. And I'll say, well... I'm, I have my own objective. I've got, got my own name, so I'll probably walk a different path. Yeah, that's the way it is. So you, you can't blackmail me into believing or into doing something I don't wish to do, doing something that I know for a fact is going to be a detrimental to our cause. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, Professor Saib Singh's words were only rediscovered by Sangat Singh around the mid-90s. Otherwise, they were genuinely ignored throughout Sikh history. Conveniently ignored, yeah? Conveniently. I mean, Baba Darbara, uh, 
Jatedar Jassas and Galuwalia left their Barsa with the Dal Khalsa. Baba Gurbakh Singh stayed behind to die fighting. No one is calling Jassas Singh a coward. He lived to lead the Qom. Nawab Kapoor Singh, you know, retreated from Amritsar. He didn't even go to the Darbar Sahib when Pai Mani Singh was being martyred. No one is calling Nawab Kapoor Singh for refusing. Uh, you know, no one is calling him a coward for refusing to make a last stand at Darbar Sahib. Hmm. So we need to balance these things out, you know, unfortunately, but we can't. We need to prepare aggressively, train harder, but also train smarter. So at least your efforts pay off. If the odds are against you, your plans are failing for any reason, what are you, you going to do? And I'm linking this with uh, the first Kalugara. You look in the mirror and see what you can do better. Well, it makes sense that, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot to save something for the future instead of just making a last thing, last stand there and getting everybody killed. Yep. I mean, Guru Gobind Singh, you could have done a last stand at another for currently. Ooh, you're stepping on a nuclear landmine, bro. Even Baba Banda Singh, I mean, Gurdas Nangal was a compulsion. Otherwise, he could have made a last stand as well, even before that. Gobind Singh chose to break out of the, of the siege. I think it was eight months here. Yeah? Yes. Why? You know, when you look at the way they, you know, I think it's just an excuse that the Sikhs and his mother went and told him we need to leave now. The Guru was, you know, strategic bold enough, tactically minded enough to know what was going to happen if he kept on, you know, becoming entrenched in another put further and further. Mm, okay, let, uh, let's uh, think it, uh, or let's uh, take another example, an international example. The siege of um, Matsada, is, is it, that's the way it's pronounced? I think so. Uh, I think it's the the uh, Jewish warriors against the Romans. Yep. I think uh, the uh, the siege ended with a complete Roman victory. Yes, because the Jews committed suicide, I believe. Yep. Hmm. Mo moving on. Prepare aggressively, but oh, no, we have done that, sorry. Be bold, but not hot-headed. So your default mindset should be boldness and proactivity, never recklessness. Uh, explain it further. Okay. When you don't know what's happening, but you have a crucial goal, a crucial mission to achieve, be bold in how you go and achieve it. Your default mindset should be aggression, but aggression is a euphemism for boldness or proactivity. Let's keep proactivity. So the way I see it being exemplified is by the likes of Professor Gurmukh Singh, if you think about it. You know, the British came into Punjab, they conquered Punjab, and many like Thakur Singh, Sandanwali, were saying that we want to, you know, restore the leap Singh to the Sikh and uh, to the Lahore throne, right? Mm -hmm. Gurmukh Singh was aggressively converting people to Sikhi at the time. I mean, proactively before the idiot trolls misinterpret that comment. He was spreading Sikhi. Default mindset was aggression. 
However, if he was aggressive, as in how we want our leaders to be aggressive, he would have fought to restore the leaps in unnecessary deaths, unnecessary sacrifices, waste of time. Maybe they would have been roundly defeated. Much more tyranny on Sikhs. Maybe they mm -hmm. would have succeeded and then the Leipzig would have come back. He would have died and his successors would have failed to live up to him and then the whole Siapa all over again. He was proactive in his mission, which was to convert people to Sikhi and convince them, empower them against the British and all others trying to crush the Sikhs. But at the same time, he was not reckless enough to make unnecessary sacrifices. So there was a balance there. Hmm. Agreed or disagreed? Agreed. Yep. But today we call Professor Gurmukhsin a traitor. He was excommunicated. And shamefully enough, after a hundred years, they actually apologized and decided to make him, you know, bring him back into the front again. Yep. A very short 100 years. Right, moving on. This is going to be pretty crucial. This one is one of the crucial aspects. Know when to deviate from the rules. So some rules are made to be broken. Hmm, yeah, yeah. So greatest exemplification is Maharaja Ranjit Singh. You know that you know he broke just about every rule in the book to become Maharaja, to destroy what was left of the missiles. One thing we need to have is that Ranjit Singh type mindset. The, the missiles are beginning to destroy themselves. Restoring them means quite a lot of sacrifices, quite a lot of time wastage. We don't know whether they will go down the same path again or not. You have the older missile Sardars. They won't let the new ones come in. We're just going to have mass confusion, chaos. Here's the thing. The rule is we do not go against the missiles. I'm going to break that rule. Sometimes the safety operating procedures have to be deviated from to achieve results. So you could say technically those this, those missiles had become uh, a rotten limb. Pretty much. Now let me give you a much more further example. This is easy to understand. Alexander the Great, people of his period led armies, those leaders led armies from the front, right? Yeah. As technology increased, that rule was broken. Leaders started leading armies from the flanks. Yeah, yeah, flank, yeah. And then times changed and leaders like Grant came along. They decided that even if the general was anywhere in the army, he would have to be in the middle or the rear. They preferred to be at the back. But there would be a lot of drill. Initially, there was no drill. But the rule was broken because, well, I mean, if you have 300 soldiers with muskets and those are flammable, what's the guarantee they wouldn't shoot each other in the backs? Has anyone ever thought about that? Well, in the battlefield, everything's a reality. Times changed again. Drills were made much more efficient, cancelled. Now we have automatic weapons. Now leaders usually lead from the middle. From the forward operating post. Yep. So they have something at the back, something at the left, something at the right, something at the front. So now they're in the middle. Obviously, we have air power and every other dynamic to take care of. So once again, you need to realize when rules need to be broken and deviate from them. 
very well explained and understood. Have you heard about uh, Qantas Flight 32 uh, left from Singapore? Richard D. Crespigny was the captain, Australian captain, ex-Australian Air Force. And one of the wings actually caught fire. So, you know, lots of people would have died if he didn't do what he did. And what he did was he asked his, you know, co-pilots, okay, guys, what do we do? Rule is captain gets the final say. He actually wanted to raise the flight higher, higher, and higher and see if the fire would burn out. They said, no, we have to land captain. Rule says the captain makes the final decision. He decided, you know what? The crew makes the final decision and decided to land, saving everyone's life. Because if he had gone up, the plane would have uh, the plane would have disintegrated. He made a tactical decision then to break the rules, but it paid off. It paid off. Mm, that's the thing. So moving on. Right now we're just getting to the end parts, but we're getting to a very uh, infamous part of it, maybe. <laughs> Accountability. <laughs> Isn't Accountability. everything we do is infamous? Oh, well, pretty much, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we <laughs> infamous is our bread and butter, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Accountability over mollycoddling. For the troops to be accountable, they need to learn the why of what they're doing. Hmm. Molly coddling has no no place. Yeah, Maybe for exactly. the for the infant only. That's it. <laughs> but I mean, how much are you going to molly coddle infant? You're just making them into weaker humans, aren't you? N not just uh, weaker humans. It's a downward spiral from which there is no recovery. Right. So you know, this is obviously exemplified by the said about Carlson and Sikh history that they always provide the why of what Sikhs need to do, but. You know, let me give you a personal example down here. Once I had a meeting with the manager and, you know, the shit was that we had workers who did not want to come work in the weekends for two hours. Some of these workers need to come in. And the way he explained the thing to me was that, you know, they do that work. We get out more product. We get more money. We spend more money on the company. Happy company, happy customer. So, you know what that equation is missing? Tell me. Happy worker. The basis, the base, the, the people who are going to do all the work. And when this guy went and gave a speech to the workers, like, oh, you know, this is what we need to do, guys, you know, happy company, happy customer, the workers were looking at him like they wanted to pretty much just beat the living shit out of him. Well, I'm not surprised that they reacted that way. So then I got up and I told them, look, guys, those two hours you're working extra, we're going to pay you an overtime rate. It will be more than what the flat rate is. So what you're getting paid, we're going to pay you. So, for example, if one was getting paid $24, for those two hours, we were going to pay him the 24 and something else above that. So his final pay would come at $30 per hour for those two hours. It would be a solid contribution to your finances at the end of the week. And really, happy company, happy customer, more work. But, you know, happy worker as well, because you will have more money to spend. So then I decided right. that, you know, yep. And I told them, I told the boss that I want charge of this project. And he said, okay, take it. Those workers actually, you know, there was the temptation for the money, but there was the temptation to have a rest as well. So they worked so damn hard that ultimately, here's what I had to do. Monday to Thursday, they would have the work. And then Friday, 
they would do four hours and those four hours would be the $30 because they were so fast and so efficient that it was just amazing what was happening out there. They were so damn efficient. It was just amazing that, you know, what you could do with the little extra money. And basically it was happy company, happy customer, happy worker. So your troops had some extra motivation. Because they understood why they had to do what they had to do. Did you give them a speech or something? I just explained the concept to them in less than a minute and it was the end of it. <laughs> right, so moving on. This is the most important. Be a leader and follower. A good leader is a good follower. An excellent leader knows when to follow and when to lead. Hmm. Again, exemplified by Maharaja Ranjit Singh when he was Europeanizing his forces, he let the Europeans take over the command structure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, when do you decide that you need to follow? let's say, for maybe even peculiar matters, the advice of somebody who knows more than you. You know, you have to suppress your own bloody ego down here. That's what I see among Sikhs. You know, leaders just don't want to be followers, but sometimes you have to follow others. I mean, in a combat situation, the leader is in the middle, right? Whose leader are they following? The frontline troops. You know, sometimes, okay, I'll give you a very uh, simple example. As kids, we used to do Langar Vahulamalaya, still, still do. Yep. All the old guys were in charge. Yep. And, and they thought the way they did, they did Langar in the 60s and 70s was the way they were going to do in the 2000s, yeah? Yep. They were unwilling to change. They were unwilling to, to admit that whatever they knew, the world they knew no longer exists. Yep. And nobody dared to go against them. So one year we just decided that uh, all these old people are going to be forced to retire. So we removed the, all those chairs that they used to just sit and command. Yep. No, they were kind of pissed off, but we took advice of the the cooks. Yeah, the halwais. Yep. That this much amount of maybe dals and water and rice and sabjis or vegetables need to brought, need to be brought in. We re, uh, reduced waste. And then we also reduced cooking time and clutter and everything. Yeah, it was quite efficient. Exactly, exactly. And that's what you need to do, you know, be a leader and a follower. Yeah, so we followed the advice of the cooks who knew what they were, because they were, the, it's it's longer, so you need to cook and serve, yeah? Anybody can serve it. Anybody can be a sevadar. Yep. But not any, anybody can decide the amount of uh, orders you need to make. Oh, no, exactly. You need to listen to your frontline troops. That's how you gain respect. Yep. And the Babas retired like, oh, this next generation, they got no respect. They don't respect the elders. Uh, they are spoiled. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Please go home. Read some good body and take some rest. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Now we're up to the last few anyway, and I need to go for dinner in 10 minutes. My goat is cooking. 
plan for the relevant you, and not the You got a goat cooking for you, mate. Wow. <laughs> yep, I thought he was like sheep. <laughs> nah, I don't. You know, they're probably going to be like, damn, he's not a vegetarian. We can't listen to him. He's not a Sikh. Anyway, plan for the relevant and not the non-existent. So plan to confront reality and not fantasy. So, you know, this was exemplified by Sardar Krora Singh here of the uh, Sardar Bagel Singh. Yeah, Sardar Bagel Singh, actually, of the Krora Singh missile. One of the things about this missile when Bagel Singh took over was its remarkable turnaround. So he made this very swift-mounted, rapid-attacking force out of this missile, so much so that even the British were, you know, flummoxed by how he was able to, you know, just appear in one place and then march kilometers all this night and be in another place. And the way this happened was that, you know, when Bagel Singh did his planning, he did not overplan. So he asked himself, what can the Sengs carry? What can the horses carry? And this prevented him from panicking and overplanning until he lugged himself down without cause. So plan for the relevant contingencies, but do not waste too much time planning for fantasies. Ah, fantasies, man. In the words you've used right here, fantasies. There's absolutely no shortage of fantasies in our, in our current society. Mm, exactly. So moving on from here, last one. Use the voice of reason and not passivity. At times, you know, you, you're being reasonable. Uh, you're a leader. You're a leader. You've got a leader about you. That leader gives you instructions. Do the instructions. Carry them out. Sometimes, though, for example, if that leader comes to you and says, well, okay, Navjeet, you're a captain. I need your lieutenant. And you say, well, I can't afford to lose my lieutenant, sir. This is why he's so strategically important to me. You're pushing back. So you're not being, you know, passive. You're pushing back to explain why that individual is crucial to your success and ultimately the mission's success. Be reasonable, but also don't be too passive. At what time are you supposed to choose your heir? Before you die, definitely. Well, you never know you die. You could probably be sitting in your tent and you could die of a snake bite. Or probably have a heart attack in, in today's time. Well, that's what I'm saying. Choose it before those situations. Maybe the day you take over, you gotta look, start looking for an heir. Absolutely. Or multiple of them, and uh, in the future, you can just just choose one, the one who proves himself or herself to be the most competent. Yep. So be reasonable, but don't be passive. That you know, I'm going to die. This might be the best guy. Always, you know, be reasonable enough to choose beforehand. So these rules can be applied in all aspects and stages of life. It just depends on if you apply them or not. In my view, the most important rule could be personal responsibility for everybody, not just leaders. Well, these rules do emanate. All leadership rules emanate from personal responsibility. If you have that, you're a leader and you will be identified as a leader in the future. Quite a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned there, and uh, they can all be, let's say, learned from an example from from our own history. Yep, exactly. But unfortunately, no one's gone around studying our history for these elements. Well, if you if you study these and tell this to the people, they're not going to give you money. They're going to give you chitter. They're going to probably give you chitter. Yeah, you disrespected our our or something. Yep.
So that's all for today. Until next time, we will have more explosive content. And no, we do not chase Jagmeet. Why Guruji Kakao? Why Guruji Kakao? Why Guruji Kakao? Why Guruji Kakao?